I've been sitting around looking at stuff at the internet, and across my screen, just totally at random, came several things all on forgiveness. And I look back over what I've been speaking about, it's been over a year, so it's time to talk forgiveness again. And before we do that, we need some background. One of the things that showed up, and this just showed up in a random Twitter feed by a guy named Alan Jacobs, and he wrote this back in 2017. So it's, it's three years old. And what he says is, when a society rejects the Christian account of who we are, it doesn't become less moralistic, but far more so. Because it retains an inchoate sense of justice, but has no means of offering and receiving forgiveness. The great moral crisis of our time is not, as many of my fellow Christians believe, sexual licentiousness, but rather vindictiveness. Social media serve as crack for moralists. There's no high like the high you get from punishing malefactors. But like every addiction, this one suffers from the inexorable law of diminishing returns. The mania for punishment will therefore get worse before it gets better. As I say, that just sort of showed up randomly. And what he's saying is that the United States has essentially ceased to be a Christian country. But it still retains a lot of the trappings of Christianity. And I will suggest that one of the reasons we cease to be Christians is because of idol worship. And the idol that we are worshiping is the state. So when something goes wrong, everybody turns to the government and says the government has to do something. That's textbook idol worship. Now, what we see today is these social justice warrior liberals who are getting on Twitter every time something offends them, and pretty much everything offends them. So, I mean, they have a, a rich source of things to draw from when they want to be offended. And one of the things that we see is they are totally unforgiving. So people will grovel, people will apologize, all that kind of stuff, and it does no good. And that's because these people don't have a mechanism to forgive. There's two kinds of society. There's shame societies and guilt societies. The United States, Europe, Christian countries are guilt societies. And what that means is when you do something wrong, a sense of guilt settles on you. And you just don't feel good until you try and make it right. Now, lots of people don't bother to make it right, but understand that the guilt is internal. A shame society is external. So, for example, pre-World War II Japan was a shame society. So when you did something wrong, people would point at you and shame you, and then you were required to do these ritual things to get yourself cleared in the eyes of your neighbors. Our problem is we have transitioned to a shame society, but we don't have any of the rituals that a shame society has developed over the years so that they work. So Japan is a perfectly successful society. In other words, they got along, they do all sorts of stuff, and in fact, they got to the point where they were strong enough to challenge us for world domination in the Pacific. So this is a successful society, but it's based on shame. Ours is a successful society, but it was based on guilt. In other words, when you do something wrong, it's internal, you don't feel right as opposed to when you do something wrong, everybody points at you and shames you. 
see the difference? And what we're dealing with right now is this post-Christian United States where shame is the mechanism, but there's no ritual there to clear it so you can move on. So when the Twitterati pick somebody to shame, there's no way for him to get clear. Drew Brees, for example, the football player. I don't know who he plays for, but he's a famous football player. I don't follow football. But Drew Brees said something to the effect of, I'm not going to bow before anybody. I'm going to stand for the flag. That lasted about 20 minutes. And then he was ritually humiliated, forced to retract it. I don't know how many apologies he's made. His wife was also made to apologize, and he's still not really forgiven. He's simply been shamed. Now, all of this is by way of background to show you what we're dealing with and why forgiveness has come across my windscreen all week. Forgiveness is exclusively Judeo-Christian. Everybody's looking up and saying, is that true? Yeah, it is. The first instance of forgiveness in Scripture is when Joseph forgives his brothers. Up until then, there has been none. And when Judah stands in front of Joseph and Judah accepts his guilt, notice guilt, not shame. So Judah stands up in front of his brothers and accepts the guilt for what he has done and the fact that all of this stuff that's come upon them is a result of their own actions and he offers himself as a replacement. At that point, Joseph forgives him. And that's the first instance of forgiveness in Scripture. That, as far as I know, is the first instance of forgiveness in human history. And that becomes then the basis for how God and the people of God are taught to deal with each other. First thing, you're supposed to internalize the Torah. God gives you this book that tells you how to live and you're supposed to internalize that. You're supposed to write it on your heart. But what that does is when you go against what Torah would have you do, if it's written on your heart like it's supposed to be, you feel a sense of guilt. And it's very hard to rest until you've set that right. Whereas in a shame society, if nobody catches you, you've got away with it. Now, don't get me wrong. Lots of people in Christianity think that if they didn't get caught, they got away with it too. But at some level, you know you've done something wrong unless you're pathological. And you may be able to suppress it and hide it and tamp it down, but at some level, you know. So, God wants us to forgive. And of course, the ultimate forgiveness is the forgiveness that He gives us when we come to Yeshua. That's the ultimate forgiveness. They say the first story of forgiveness is Joseph. Now before that you have Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel. There's no forgiveness there. There are consequences there, but there isn't any real forgiveness. The forgiveness finally comes with the sacrifice of Yeshua. And God gives us a mechanism to be forgiven. And what he wants us to do is to treat each other according to the model with which he treats us. So you have this righteous God who has every reason, and we see it over and over again, to hit the smite button and wipe us out. One of the things that happens very frequently in the Torah is 
God says, Moses, get out of the way. I'm going to smite them all. And Moses says, no, no, please forgive them. So for the forgiveness that he has given us, he expects us to extend that forgiveness to each other. Yeshua, and there's lots and lots of examples in here. I'll just read one from Luke 6. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, it will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And by the way, that's not just the stuff that's dumped into your lap. That's everything in this list to include forgiveness. So the measure that you use when you deal with your brother in terms of forgiveness is the same measure then that's going to be used for you when you stand in front of God. Measure for measure. God's iron law of sowing and reaping. Romans. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. In other words, you don't have to get even. And that's one of the big things that causes us not to forgive, is we have this sense of justice. And our justice is fueled by our pride. Pride is the linchpin of vengeance. How dare he do that to me? Somebody as important as I am. Really important to me. And when somebody treats me badly, my sense of justice is backed up by my pride, and it's really hard for me to turn loose of it because I want vengeance. And what God explicitly says through Paul is, no, you don't get to do that. So the first problem we have then that gets in the way of our forgiveness is our own heart and our own pride. Now, since Yeshua has balanced the scales, and since Yeshua has provided forgiveness, we are expected to do the same. Now, you should want to forgive as opposed to being commanded to forgive. Two different things, right? God says, forgive. Okay, cool, got that. It's a commandment. I need to do that. Hard, but I need to do it. Why then would I want to other than, of course, to please God. And certainly I want to please God. But I have lots and lots of really good coping mechanisms that allows me to go through life without having pleased God in lots of ways. Really good at that. So why should I want to forgive as opposed to forgiving because God told me to? That's where I'm going here. First thing is, and this is another one that came across my windscreen. This is a... Twitter post. You don't forgive because you're a pushover. You forgive so resentment does not consume you. Think about that. One of the things that we're really good at is resentment. I am. That's one of my chiefest skills. I'm really good at resentment. And if you go through life with a lot of unforgiveness, what happens is that resentment starts to eat you. It's like acid. It generates bitterness. As I've said lots of times before, bitterness is a poison that you take, hoping it'll kill somebody else. Unforgiveness presents demon attachment points. So you're going through your life, minding your own business, somebody wrongs you, and boy, your sense of pride and justice wells up in you, and you just can't turn loose of it. Well, 
there'll be an unclean spirit that'll come along and jump right on you and say, oh, how dare she say that to you? Oh, you're really justified here. And what you wind up having is you got a little fellow traveler on your shoulder. And that little fellow traveler doesn't just stop with that offense. What that little fellow traveler does is manufactures more offenses. That's what we're seeing on Twitter, by the way. A whole bunch of demonized people that are looking for offenses. And they've got little demons that are helping them right along and saying, Ooh, look at that person. Ooh, look at that. Look at what that person wrote 20 years ago. In fact, there's a vice president at Boeing that was just forced to resign. Because 20 years ago, as a captain in the Navy, he wrote an article for a journal saying women didn't belong in combat. He's been forced to resign as vice president of Boeing. So the idea that your bitterness will provide a, an attachment point for a demon is another reason you should want to forgive. Because you really don't want those things traveling along with you. They start off really persuasive because what they do is they reinforce what you want to do. But pretty soon they take over. So you should want to forgive for that reason. The other reason you should want to forgive is because unforgiveness excuses all sorts of other sins. There's a play in a movie called Chicago, which is great fun. And it's about a couple of women who have murdered their husbands are in jail. And there's this song where all the women in the jail sing this song, He Had It Coming. If you'd have been there, you'd have done the same. And what that says is this accumulation of little rubbing the wrong ways that marriages all have finally came right up to here and these women by various means killed their husbands and what they're saying is if you knew how he treated me you'd have done the same and these were not by the way self-defense kind of killings these were the guy left his underwear on the floor one time too many kind of killing but the point is unforgiveness will cause you to justify other sins. It will cause you to justify doing things that you know are sinful because you think that you are owed that. Or you think that the person you are doing that to deserves it. So one of the reasons you should want to forgive is so that you don't then become tempted to do something worse. So how do you do it? There's an article. It's by a guy named Stephen Marmer at UCLA forgiveness is really trying to carry too much freight because forgiveness is all the way from oh you walk through the door without holding it open for me to you just did something really egregious what he's saying is covers too wide a spectrum so what he's done is he's broken it down into three categories and the categories depend on whether or not you have to deal with the person ever again so the first two categories, you need to keep dealing with this person that has wronged you in some way, real or imagined. Because remember, lots of wrongs are just imaginary. 
they're in your own mind. They're, in fact, nothing real. So the first one is the purest form of forgiveness, and it's called exoneration. And that kind of forgiveness is for people that you are close to. For example, you and your wife, you and your children, people that you love, people that you want the relationship to be restored to what he calls a state of innocence. In your mind, you can forgive to the point that it is as if that had never happened. One of the ways to do that is if the person who wronged you is genuinely sorry, makes a full and complete apology. I wronged you, I'm sorry, I will do my best never to do it again. Judah in the case of Joseph and Judah. Another possibility is the person didn't do it on purpose. It was just an accident. And at that point, you can discuss being careless if you want, but there's no reason to hold any resentment. Another one is if it's a child. You have little children that do all sorts of things that really require forgiveness. And a lot of the times, it's because they're young, they don't know any better, you're an adult, and may need to swat him on the diaper, but the point is, we're not going to hold a grudge here. That's one, and that's what he calls exoneration, where the slate is wiped clean, and it's as if the offense had never happened. To the best of your ability, you really want to go for that. The second one is forbearance. And in that case, let's pop up to, for example, your boss at work. Unless you want to give up your job, you've got to maintain a relationship with this guy or gal. So what you need to do is come up with a way that you can continue to live with this person and interact with them and so forth without building up a load of bitterness and resentment. One of the things that will happen there is you may get a partial apology. Yeah, I'm sorry I did that, but you, that's not a real apology. What that is, is a partial apology. Apology may not be sincere. Sorry, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so there's lots of things that makes this more complex. First thing you gotta do for you is you gotta cease dwelling on the offense because that will build up bitterness. And this one's hard. Okay, I'll tell you right now. You gotta quit fantasizing about revenge because when somebody steps on your toes, the first thing you start doing is fantasizing about how you're gonna get back. We all do it. You gotta stop that. And that takes an act of your will. You gotta stop it. You are, however, allowed to maintain a degree of watchfulness. In other words, relationship has been damaged. And there isn't anything about forgiveness that says that you've got to be a patsy and put yourself up there to keep getting slapped down. So you certainly can treat that person with a little bit of distance. Remember, forgiveness is so that you don't get consumed with bitterness. That's the purpose of forgiveness. So with time and continued good behavior, this level of forgiveness may raise to the level of exoneration. In other words, sorry becomes, yeah, 
I really am sorry. And I've treated you badly. That may take some time, but you can certainly get there. So those are the kinds of forgiveness, for lack of a better word, that are for people that you have to continue to maintain a relationship with. Exoneration and forbearance. The third one is for people you either don't need to maintain a relationship with, or for example, somebody who's dead. Anybody got resentments against their mother, their father, their paternal uncle? Anybody got those kind of resentments hanging around? I do. So how do you deal with someone that you don't have or don't want to have a continued relationship with? And there what we're talking about is release. So let's take first off somebody who's died. Say you had a really bad relationship with your father or your mother or somebody who's gone. What you need to do is you need to release that, which is to say, I choose not to carry resentment for that anymore. Similarly, if it's a person that is still around and still alive and someone that you really don't want or need to have a continuing relationship with, you're perfectly justified in breaking the relationship. But what you can't do is carry the resentment with you. You've got to release that person. And the thing that's hard about that is we have this sense of justice built in. In other words, if I release them, that means that they got away with it. And that's why it's hard. Because, in fact, they didn't get away with it. It's just that you don't get to punish them. Everybody hear what I just said? They didn't get away with it, but you don't get to punish them. Remember it says in Scripture, who does vengeance belong to? The Lord. So God says, I'll take care of it. You turn it loose. And that's hard. It's really hard. Because you see people out there going on about their lives, driving their Mercedes, all that kind of good stuff in their life. Looks really great. And here I am just, hmm, God, did you see what he did to me? Well, yeah, God did see what he did to you. But that you got to trust him. So the thing about release is you have got to turn loose of it. You've got to not carry it around with you. And I will give you a simple exercise that really helps. I don't remember where I learned about this, but it really works. It takes a while. But every time that person comes up in your mind and you are saying, and you sort of feel that knot in your stomach welling up, you all know the knot in your stomach, go find a bathroom and wash your hands. And as you wash your hands, say, by an act of my will, I forgive, or I release, whichever works better for you, and wash your hands. Now, you're going to get chapped hands. Get used to that. But over time, that works. And it's a nice little simple ritual that you can always do when you start feeling yourself nodding up about somebody. Just go find some water. Say, I release whoever it is for what he did, and wash your hands. Now, how do you know when you're successful? How do you know when you've actually forgiven, released, or exonerated somebody? When I, biblically, how do you know when you've actually forgiven someone? Whenever you think of that person in that instance, if your stomach doesn't go ping, 
you're free. At that point, you're free. And you'll never lose the memory. As I have said in the past, every time you have this instance that you're unforgiving, it's like you make a little brick. And you set this little brick in a wall. And you build up this wall brick by brick by brick over your life. And every one of those bricks has got somebody's name on it. And every one of those bricks has got an offense. And you just keep building this wall up. And every time you try and do something, you bump into this wall and you look, oh, and you get righteously angry. Now, when you learn to forgive, those bricks do not go away. But those bricks, instead of becoming a wall in front of you, become pavement under your feet. Same brick, but it's no longer a barrier. It's no longer something that holds you back. The memory is still there. That's who you are. Those are your experiences in life. They don't go away. But now they're under your feet instead of in front of your face. And that's what you want. You want to get to the point where you don't have those walls of stacked up bricks in front of you. You may have a lot of pavement under your feet, don't get me wrong, okay? This is an abusive world. So the fact that you're going to go through life without making a bunch of bricks, get over that one, because we all do. But don't stack them up. Lay them out flat, where they just become memories, and they are no longer a source of this little high-octane ping in your pit of your stomach. And I will go back to my internet friend, whoever he is, and I will repeat that. You don't forgive because you are a pushover. You forgive so that resentment does not consume you.